Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, Eric Fawcett will join me. We will break down Florida's loss at Oklahoma. We will also discuss Florida's embarrassing home defeat to Texas Southern. What went wrong? Why the Gators' offensive issues are coming back to haunt them again? And um, how Florida can learn from these two defeats, move forward with games against North Florida and Maryland still on tap this week. Um, thank you all for listening. It's been a really great year for us at Florida Basketball Hour in terms of listener growth and support. Please remember to leave us a rating at Apple Podcast. Um, give us a heart on Spotify, Google Review. Any of these things are helpful. Help us get advertising, keep things going for you all. We are very grateful for you and wish you all happy holidays. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Foss at GatorCountry.com. we got a pair of L's to talk about tonight, Eric. Oh, we do. Um, and here we thought, you know, it wasn't going to work out to do uh, do a podcast before Texas Southern. So it's like, hey, you know what, maybe we uh, get kind of an easy win there and then we're able to circle back to that Oklahoma loss and then look forward. But, uh, you know, that's what we get for our schedules filling up and not being able to do a podcast after after Oklahoma. What do the you know fates decide? But uh, but give us another loss. So uh, really weird and, you know, generally unpleasant week here for the Gators. Yeah, I thought um, problems started. We'll get to Texas Southern in a second. Um, And I think uh, the thing that I'll say at the top of that is I'm not putting that off for any particular reason other than it came second, Eric. Obviously, just a terrible loss on your home floor Um, and an embarrassing L. And look, I don't care – what you say about Texas Southern as a basketball team, just not a game Florida should lose. Yeah. I mean, we obviously weren't able to podcast before this one, um, but I wrote about it and I was kind of ready to talk about the podcast, just kind of like the plight of what it is like to be uh, HBCU in, uh, in the SWAC. So like Texas Southern has only played by games. They have not played a single home games. Uh, or a home game this season. So all they've done is go on the road. So like they go and get hammered by Oregon. They have to play St. Mary's and Washington and Air Force and NC State and BYU and Louisiana Tech. And kind of like you said, I mean, like the script is Florida cuts a check for this Texas Southern team and they come into town and the Gators are supposed to get a comfortable win. So, uh, man, that was kind of what I thought we'd kind of be talking about. Um, but uh, but no, it was a team that was just kind of clearly clearly better. And I know we're going to uh, circle back and talk about it. Definitely just easier to go a little more chronological, start with the Oklahoma game first. So uh, I, I'm, I'm with you on that format, Neil. Good, good. Sorry about the uh, muting there. So Florida goes on the road um, last week to Oklahoma. And uh, I thought – a pretty good game, at least from like a neutral standpoint uh, for 30 minutes and then kind of got away from Florida late. Uh, if you were a neutral, obviously Florida made that crazy eight Oh run towards the end to cut it to two and then I uh, got beat. But, but I, I like, you know, I took the 20 minutes to listen to the Mike White press conference, but also uh, was kind of thinking of how to, 
to juxtapose these things in, in a way that would create the best discussion with two losses. And I guess what I came up with, Eric, was I felt like Florida defensively um, was less of a letdown against Oklahoma than they were against Texas Southern. Um, I thought Florida offensively was a letdown in both games. Thoughts? Yeah, no, totally. And I know that there was times in, in both games where I pointed out stuff that I didn't like they were doing defensively. Um, but that's not to say that that was the biggest problem. And I think you just nailed it against Oklahoma, especially where you kind of saw it. It was one of those games where in the first two or three possessions for the Gators, you could tell pretty quick. It's like, okay, Florida throws it to Colin Castleton at the top. That's kind of what initiates their offense. Then they go and have these convergences of two players where they run split cuts and the players make reads. And you just saw that Oklahoma was top locking or switching onto the, the top of those, of those split cuts, kind of making it so that in action that hypothetically has two or more options, Florida was kind of forced to do the option that was going under on each of those actions. So you take something that the randomness of the convergence of two players, that's kind of what makes the offense tough to guard. And Oklahoma just takes away one of the options entirely and says, okay, we're kind of funneling you back towards our shop locker in the middle. Uh, it, it kind of made it that Florida suddenly didn't have so many options and we're suddenly a lot more predictable. So uh, really, really well guarded by Oklahoma. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, what did we talk about on the podcast leading up to it? Porter Moser, someone who's ran five out and ran it better than anyone over the last couple of years, he knew what to do against the Gators. And unfortunately, Florida just didn't really seem to have a counter for it. Yeah, they didn't really adjust. Uh, they didn't necessarily adjust defensively either, as they did in the Ohio State game. Although, um, you know, you could tell that it was a coach that was much more familiar with with five out concepts and they had a good plan to play through Tanner Gross and then attack with the one mismatch we said they had on our preview, uh, which was Jalen Hill. They got Florida scrambled out of its press a lot and Florida ended up in bad switches on Hill, which when Oklahoma went quicker, they were able to exploit. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Neil, I mean, it's nice of you to say that that we called it. That was that was all you on Jalen Hill. Like, I didn't know how good Jalen Hill was. I know you mentioned. I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. I didn't know he was that good. And then, man, he was uh, fantastic. So full credit to you for for pointing out Jalen Hill, who I thought was just incredible. He was kind of the recipient of some of those those uh, kind of slips that uh, the Gators were getting hit on all day because Porter Moser had a great plan of attacking their pick and roll defense. Um, but uh, but again, and like you you also mentioned mentioned Tanner Groves, like whether it was him um, catching it up top and and threatening with that shooting ability or getting it done down low, um, just really really effective. Yeah, um, and I you know anybody that had seen Tanner Groves play last year, maybe even in the NCAA tournament, knew that he was kind of a silky player. But I really didn't expect, especially after the Ohio State game. Um, I didn't necessarily think that he was going to have as much success against uh, Castleton as he did, but I really think, and it's something that I picked up more on. I get the benefit of the Texas Southern game also, Eric, but Colin Castleton, not particularly comfortable the last couple of games away from the basket, either defensively or uh, it, on offense. Now, again, we can get into the offense if, if we'd like, but in fact, let's stick to Oklahoma and just say, when their big is away from the hoop and they play through their big that way, it's just constant hard cuts and stuff happening off the ball. Florida did that some earlier in the season. Uh, not much of it. 
um, in the Oklahoma game. And then also I thought got pretty ball screen reliant again. Yeah, the, the thing with that offense in, in kind of both these games, but was definitely kind of shown with with Oklahoma. And like you said, just how Oklahoma runs stuff so good using the same offense, but just better sets out of it, quite frankly, is just everything that Oklahoma does puts pressure on the defense. Anytime someone catches the ball, they're in a position to score. And then if they they don't put up a shot or if not cutting, um, then it already flows into another action. Um, I forget what you said on Twitter tonight, Neil, but you said something about off-ball action setting up other actions, and you said it more eloquently than that. So maybe you can uh, get into that after I'm done talking. But uh, again, to just see the difference between Florida, who just runs stuff that I just I, I described it on Twitter as this. I described it in some private messages. I'll say it again. They just run so many non-threatening actions, like cuts that like the defense doesn't even react to because it's a player that's cutting in a way that if he catches the ball, he's going away from the hoop 12 feet from it towards the sideline, or it's guys that, that, that come off these screens on the perimeter so slowly that by the time the ball gets, you know, passed to them, they're not in a position to shoot because they're like, there's just, and I tweeted out one possession that I thought kind of embodied it all, but like, you know, there was nine or ten passes and not a single player that received the ball was in a position to score. And there was probably three or four cuts and not a single player would have been able to score on a layup if he was cutting like that. You know, look at Oklahoma. They were raining threes, how they were getting back cuts, how they were getting just normal cuts and, and, and making that pass. Um, it just like it was just constant, constant pressure on the defense. And that's what five out should be. That's the whole point of five out is that you're threatening the defense with every pass. And that's where I just see fundamentally Florida's offense is not there right now. Yeah, no, I, that's um, similar to what I said on Twitter, which was just that, you know, hard cuts, off ball actions, set up future actions. None of that. They're very stagnant uh, out of ideas. And then also putting the ball on the floor a lot more like, they had, I think Mark Wise pointed it out on the telecast, but they had one early transition three-pointer where the ball never hit the floor. Uh, it actually went from the right side of the floor on the rebound to the left side of the floor for a transition three and two passes. And Florida missed the transition three, but I'm fine with that kind of miss, Eric, because they're moving the ball and there's attacking intent and they're making the defense react. Florida gets into their half-court sets, and like the set we saw after Oklahoma ran that beautiful slip screen to go up 71-67, and then Florida sets a really lazy ball screen at the top, which you couldn't even tell if Tyree – it was so bad that Tyree Appleby – like you couldn't even tell if he rejected the screen or not. You know what I'm saying? He just kind of dribbled around it a little bit and bounced a couple times and took a terrible off-balance three-pointer. Uh, maybe that was Flan Fleming that shot that, or if it was Appleby, correct me. But um, in either event, the action was just miserable, and it seals Florida's fate in a game that they had cut to two points on the road. And we're seeing way too much of that and not enough of the type of thing we saw that they actually come back and win the Ohio – or tie the Ohio State game on, where the type of cutting and screening that they're doing is to set up future plays. I think that was the language you used uh, to to set up cutting to set up future plays. I think that's what you said on Twitter that I really appreciated. I like that phrasing. But uh, again, I you know a player that's taken some heat the last two games from I would say you know the Twitter consensus is is Tyree Appleby, uh, particularly because of his turnovers. And you know what, I see a lot of the the plays where he's turning the ball over, and it seems like a guy who maybe doesn't totally trust the offense and just kind of feels like he needs to make something happen. 
happen. And, and part of that is like 20 seconds of the shot clock go by, nothing's happening. He's the guy who has to try to make something happen. We saw that he has that ability a little bit with those two threes coming back against Oklahoma. But um, we heard kind of throughout the first couple of weeks of the season, we heard in the off season, then we saw it the first couple of weeks of, weeks of the season where the Gators were talked about as a team that was really unselfish and willing to move the ball. And the last couple of, of, of games, we just haven't seen that. So it's like, is this a real kind of change in mindset? Are guys suddenly becoming more selfish? I would say probably not. I think it's guys that just kind of have seen that this offense has not been working at a high level and guys kind of feel like they need to freelance. Again, maybe that's a, a misread, but everything we've heard from the coaching staff and from media around the practice is, is how unselfish these guys are. And, and, and even when they talk, they talk about how unselfish they are and um, how unselfish their teammates are and that just kind of changed last couple of games and when it starts to be there moving through this offense and not getting anything out of it uh, I kind of feel like maybe these guys don't trust the offense again you even look at the first couple buckets of the game against Texas Southern um, you know they 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 scored quick but it was like Brad and McKissick pulling from the logo or uh, Daruji kind of went out of the offense went and drove and did a you know, pull up from the free throw line and um, Colin Castle hit a, hit a, you know, a long two as well. And, and their first, you know, eight points weren't in this, in the flow of the offense at all. It was actually guys just kind of, you know, going and getting a shot and luckily they hit it. But I thought you saw pretty quickly that it's like, okay, like they're putting point, a couple points on the board, but it's because these offensive possessions were stalling. So uh, it's definitely something that I personally find concerning and uh, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll see more moving forward, but uh, uh just the, this kind of freelancing that has both led to guys taking some shots that they weren't taking early in the, in the year or guys turning the ball over more. It just seems like they're forcing it because they're not seeing it kind of coming in the flow of the offense. Yeah. I mean, the ratcheted up turnovers is, is definitely uh, was definitely a concern starting in the, in the Troy game where they got sloppy with the ball in the second half. And then it escalates into the Oklahoma game where they were way over the number of projected turnovers that, that I had, uh, slated. Um, they only had 10 against Texas Southern, which might even be more proof that what they're doing offensively isn't working because if you're taking care of the ball and you win the turnover against Texas turnover batter by 12 as Florida did tonight, it should be better. Now, the other thing I will say, Eric, to, to try to, I'm not saying I necessarily even disagree with you, but what I will say here is that Florida's nine of 50 from three in the last two games and I do think that it's easy to think, oh, the offense isn't working when your shots aren't going down. Whereas in the Troy game, it really looked like, you know, oh, our shots are going in. We're making hard cuts. We're we're running, you know, actions to set up future actions because our threes, then defenses are getting extended, which frees up Colin Castleton to feast a little bit underneath. And I'm not saying that we can necessarily compare Troy defensively to Oklahoma and Texas Southern, but it goes without saying we, we can talk about Maryland Wednesday night, but um, when you make shots, which Maryland isn't doing right now, and when you miss shots, uh, which Maryland and Florida are doing right now, your offense doesn't look as good uh, necessarily, even when you're taking open shots. Now tonight, um, what was more concerning tonight, I thought, was that Florida, I don't think, got as many good looks in their offense at all. I thought in, in the Oklahoma game, there were quite a few times where they did reverse the ball and get decent looks at the basket from three. Eric didn't knock them down. Um, tonight, just four of 
five of 24 from deep and, and plenty of those not really good looks. Yeah, that's the one thing about the loss to Texas Southern. And I know we were <laughs> we went out with the idea that we do Oklahoma and then we move on to Texas Southern. Uh, man, it just seemed like kind of the same script to both games. So I know that they're blending. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, it like, w- one thing that's pretty crazy about the Texas Southern loss is like they, they really just got thumped in every kind of matter. Like if you had no idea what team was Florida and what team was Texas Southern and what team had – the, the number next to their name and which didn't, you would just pretty clearly think Texas Southern was the better basketball team. Like that's, that's the thing that was concerning. And you, you mentioned it, Florida just did not get a clean look all night. Well, they did get some, some, some chances at layups that spilled out. And that was later in the second half where it just seemed like they were definitely snake bitten, but man, for the first half, I, there wasn't a, a three where I was like, Oh man, you got to hit that. Like they, they just were not getting open looks. Like the, the quality of shot was not there. So like, I, you know, it was what 35 to 25 at half, I think. And it was like that, that was not Florida getting cold, not Texas Southern getting hot. That was one team getting a lot higher quality shots than the other. And the score bared that out. So I, I do think to some extent it was like, man, the Gators were almost lucky to only be five for 24 because some of those Brandon McKissick makes were from pretty deep. And we know he hasn't really been able to hit those a lot to, to this point of the season, but um and, and I don't know, like Oklahoma, there definitely was some some opportunities for those catch and shoots that that didn't fall. Um, we know Tyree Apley had a whole bunch of those uh, off the dribble threes, which like he shows that he can hit. He even showed that you know in the Oklahoma game where he hit two, but uh, uh, he's also cold on those. But uh, and then again, you've got the Myron Jones one for six night, which you know Mike White said he didn't think that Myron Jones was going to have many of, but if you look at his career, he has those. So uh, yeah, definitely some more open shots against Oklahoma, which is also pretty crazy to think that Florida probably got higher quality shots against the Sooners than <laughs> the Tigers. But uh, uh, I guess uh, pretty concerning when it's like both ends of the spectrum from a not hitting shot standpoint. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and again, I think getting back to the Oklahoma game a little bit, um, but as Eric, I think eloquently put it, there were so many problems that, popped up in both losses. And I would imagine this is going to be a thing all year when Florida loses, these are going to be things that happen. Um, You know, ball screen defense, man, just like the number of slips that Oklahoma got uh, in pick and roll on screens, shoot, even like when they would run pin downs, there were dudes just flying free. Um, (laughs) Eric, I think Florida has to continue to think about diversifying the way it defends ball screens and the pick and roll. Yeah. And and luckily we're seeing a little bit of a change with them icing some of those side ball screens, which is um, I think an improvement definitely. But uh, again, like if you look at the overall numbers, Oklahoma wasn't like incredible in ball screens and that's what beat the Gators or uh, Texas Southern wasn't incredible in ball screens. And that's why they were able to put up on the Gators but they were able to just get key buckets and really, really easily like those slips that were just wide open dunks against the Sooners. And like, you know, do your, do your hardest not to summon the face of Dan Mullen, as I say this, but like, if you're not going to score at a high level, your margin of victory or your, sorry, your, your margin of error is, is so thin. And the Gators have been a team that it's like, okay, we are a defensive team. We are going to be elite defensively. That's where our DNA is. We know we don't shoot the ball well all the time. Um, that's kind of been all the, all the messaging is like, it's a team that hangs its hat on the defensive end. Well, if that's the case, your margin of error is that you have to be 
really, really good defensively. And you can't have those moments where you're, pick and roll defense breaks down so much that Oklahoma goes over and over and over again to the same slip play that you're just completely not ready for or times against Texas Southern, where uh, again, because of the way that they hedge ball screens, the role man is then going to get covered by Tyree Appleby or Brandon McKissick. So there's easy finishes on the inside. It's just like, okay, if that's what you're going to do, you, you truly have to be elite. Like you have to be fantastic on the defensive end. And, you know, they were pretty good against Oklahoma but man, it's, it's those, those slips that uh, like little things like that, where you just, you can't have that happen if you're going to be a team that wins on the defensive end. Yeah. I mean, it's just been a problem and it was a problem in the cow game. Uh, we saw, you know, and I, I mean, I hate to even bring that up, but remember the cow game until Florida's press started to take over was nip and tuck because California was just feasting on slips basically. And, and getting in switches uh, off of them. So I think, man, I mean, Florida might really want to consider something different. And, and I mean, we, I, we also mentioned, I think how Ohio state ran the same drag screen over and over again until Florida uh, adjusted to it by icing some ball screens. I would have liked to see that with a Texas Southern team that wasn't exactly uh, the strongest on the handles tonight, but I want to stick with uh, Oklahoma just a little bit longer and ask you about uh, rotations. Do you think maybe playing seven guys only uh, in the, whether it was the first true road game or whether it's just like Mike White's like, this is the team I trust. Um, I mean, what's your thoughts on the wisdom of that? Because I know in the past, Eric, uh, you and I have both talked about how modern college basketball a lot of elite coaches do shorten their bench. Um, but I do wonder if just some minutes at all from anyone on the bench might have been uh, useful in the OU game. Uh, yeah, I think when you don't shoot the ball particularly well, you wonder about Elijah Kennedy and you wonder about Kwesi Reeves. Those are the only two guys that I would have really thought or while I was watching it that I was like, oh, I'd like these guys to get a taste and, and see what's going on. Uh, but, you know, I was actually working on a little bit of a theory that I bet if I tweeted out some like small sample size, people would be really interested in it. But I won't in, in good faith because it doesn't really bear out over the his career. But if you look at Myron Jones, so, you know, shooting the basketball four for eight against Elon is when he had 27 minutes, three for six against California. It's when he had 26 minutes, four for nine against Troy, when he only played 27 minutes. Um, then you look at Florida state, he plays, uh, he plays 37 minutes. He uh, he's two for seven on that night. He's one for six against Oklahoma when he plays 40 minutes um, against Ohio state. He was only one of three. So I was actually working, I was workshopping a little bit of a theory. Uh, maybe Myron Jones is someone like, we know he's really streaky. So maybe it's, He's uh, maybe it's legs because when he plays more minutes, um, the legs aren't there and he doesn't shoot the ball. Well, that's kind of been, you know, it, it, it just so happens when he's played heavy, heavy minutes um, so far this season, he's not shot the ball well, but if you actually look at the rest of his career, it's something that doesn't hold water. So, I mean, I, 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 I'm into any theory as it relates to how many minutes players play and how it affects their performance. But again, I look at that game and it's like, do I want to see Niles Lane with, with all due respect, the offense is so stuck. I don't think that you can really have another kind of non-threatening player out there. Did I want Jason Jatobo? Uh, no, I, I didn't really. So I, 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 I kind of am okay. Just kind of generally speaking with the, with the short rotation, but again, with this team, 
at some point you're going to need to score. And I know we said in the uh, kind of leading up to the season, we don't think the Gators have enough juice off the dribble and in shot creation. That's why Kwesi Reeves is going to be an important player. I didn't know if we were going to have two games like this, but man, I, I, I'm really going back to this. Um, I would have loved to have seen some Kwesi Reeves because uh, at some point someone needs to create a shot. At some point, someone's going to need to make a shot on this team. And uh, the sample size of, of guys struggling to do that is, is mounting up. And um, I think Reeves could be a guy that contributes in that area. So that's, that's someone I would have liked to have seen a little bit more, but generally speaking, yeah, I'm pretty good with the short rotation. Yeah. I mean, I, that's so I, the only area where I'll say, and I, I guess I'm not even disagreeing because you've got into the the point I want to make, which is that I just think Kowasi Reeves played zero minutes in these games. Um, and maybe they trust Elijah Kennedy more on defense right now. And that's the reason that, that he's swallowing up a handful of, of available minutes. Uh, he played eight tonight against Texas Southern as we record on Monday night. Um, but I really think they've got to find a way to get, get Kawhi series going. James Swafford's a, a, a longtime listener and he was uh, debating me on Twitter as to whether or not Kawhi a really good shooter. And he pointed out that, that on max preps, he had shot 32% in high school. And then he said that he thought his AAU numbers were the same. So I did some, some back channeling and asked some questions and found out that, that uh, Kowasi was about a 40% shooter from three in uh, AAU games, but a 32% shooter from three in high school, which may be because uh, as Eric has alluded to, he was sometimes double and triple covered um, in high school. And, you know, who knows, maybe he felt, an urge to chuck up more shots or whatever it is. I know when they put him in against Troy, he hoisted. And I don't think that a freshman like Reeves is going to hoist that many shots per minute. If uh, he's not being urged by the staff to score. So to that end, Eric, I really think they've got to figure out a way to get him involved just to create another um, scoring option for this basketball team. And maybe, you know, it's still early on the sample size, but, Let's see if there's some juice to your theory about playing Byron Jones a little le less, although he definitely logged big time minutes at Penn state. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I, I, I was looking at the kind of small sample size of uh, uh, games this season and I'm like, Oh, maybe there's something here. And we've kind of seen these last couple of games hasn't shot the ball really well. And I was just like, Oh, there's going to be something here. And then I look back at, at this Penn state numbers and there doesn't appear to be a rhyme or reason between or a correlation between uh you know, shooting and, and his minute played, but you know, if it does happen this year, I, uh, you know, I writing on it for everyone who's listening, but uh, <laughs> not put it out there. We'll see what happens. But uh, I, I think too, like speaking of how veteran this team is, like, I don't need to go up and down the roster. Everyone knows how old this team is. Not a lot of these guys outside of Flanders Fleming to an extent have a track record of being a high level self creator slash shot maker. And again, even putting Flanders Fleming in that category, Eh. so if you're looking forward to the sec schedule are you expecting one of these guys who's played it the exact same way for four years and the first quarter of this season like are you expecting them to emerge as as shot creators and shot makers like i, I just wouldn't be banking on that like you you know your guys you know the struggles that the gators have had the last couple of years you know what these careers are of these older players like and you know how basketball is played, you know, you need these shot makers and shot creators. So I just think like, 
sure, you can keep kind of going back to the same group and saying, hey, will someone be able to turn into that player? Or do you look at someone who has that kind of DNA and in a Kwesi Reeves and say, okay, maybe he's not quite there right now, but let's try to make it so that when it's, you know, the end of February and, you know, they're playing Auburn in Arkansas, that you have a guy who's ready for that role. So, um, yeah, there's my there's my official pitch for, for Kwesi Reeves. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. And look, because – Flynn Fleming was two of eight tonight, but I didn't have a problem with, he was one of the guys who I thought is going out there trying to make buckets, right? He has 19 against Oklahoma, um, was kind of that guy to your point, Eric, that made those buckets. I still think this team's best weapon is going to be balance. I think it's going to make them tough in, in conference play. I really do. And, and I, I said this on Twitter tonight and immediately was uh, assaulted as if I had threatened to kill someone. Um, that like, yeah, I mean, this is absolutely a horrible, terrible, bad, embarrassing home loss. Uh, the season also isn't over Florida plays on Wednesday night, so we can cry about it all we want, but the, you know, what we talk about on Florida basketball hour is Florida basketball and they have to play again Wednesday night. And what's the best path moving forward. And like, when we talked about that balance, I kept making this comparison to Arkansas last year, but I think Florida is about where Arkansas is defensively from last year. So I still think they have a chance to be very good. Arkansas had Moses Moody though. And Muss didn't put him in terrible spots early in the year, but had him out there 20, 25 minutes a night, right? Saying, Hey, we're going to make sure that he gets his shots up. And I'm not comparing Kowasi who played a whole different level of basketball lower than Moses Moody, right? In high school. But I do think Florida would be wise to put him on the floor for 12 to 15 minutes a night. I really believe that just because I think it would give the Gators an extra option offensively. And this is a team that is, you know, the more balanced, the better they're going to, they're going to have to be balanced to win games because there's not an elite offensive player on the roster other than Reeves probably. Yeah. It's pretty crazy too, with a tight rotation. I think, like yes this part of the season is is building chemistry yes florida has a bunch of transfers that are haven't played together um so yeah you want to build chemistry but it's like man they've played a lot of minutes so far through these eight games because they have uh they haven't gone deep in their bench so you're and you're kind of seeing these offensive struggles so like kind of moving forward in the season it's like okay i don't think that they played well offensively against texas southern i don't think they played well offensively against oklahoma i think they played well offensively against troy I don't think they played well offensively against Ohio um, against California. I even think they started that game pretty slow. So, you know, you've got a number of not stellar offensive performances in a row. So the question is, of course, how do they try to improve from that? How do they, uh, what do they change to get better on that end? So that can obviously happen in a few ways, but if we're kind of having the conversation here in, you know, a, a month or two about them still being stuck offensively, and they haven't been, you know, giving someone like a Kwesi Reeves, a guy who was pretty much recruited for his offensive ability. Um, if you don't even, you know, see him put into those situations and you don't say, oh, you know, like against Texas Southern and, and North Florida and South Florida and Sony Brook, that was an opportunity to kind of get him into those roles. It, it, it's kind of going to be one of those things where it's like, well, what, like, what, what did you think was going to happen after you had, you know, five poor offensive performances in a row? Like, are we still kind of going back to the same thing? So I, I'm more looking for schematic changes because of, like you said, balance is always going to be the strength of this team. If they're going to, you know, really be good offensively, it's probably not going to be relying on a shot making freshman, but it's, uh, 
it's one thing they could go to. And it's something that I don't really feel they've given a fair kind of shot to. And uh, um, it's not the sole problem that they've had problems offensively. There's no questions, but uh, it it could be one thing that kind of gets them out of the problem, at least in a couple of scenarios. Yeah. One thing I also would have done tonight, transitioning a little bit to Texas Southern um, would have been, you know, so, and here's, here's why I, I feel like I'm right about this. Now, let me be fair to Mike White before I get 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 too heated on a on a soapbox here, Eric. I did not know this fact until the Mike White press conference. So what I will do is read the quote from Mike White, um, and then say why I would have reacted the way I did uh, that Mike White did not do. So I'm going to make a criticism of Mike White, but I want people to have context for it. White said uh, after the game what he has seen since the loss from Oklahoma. A couple of days ago, we weren't good in practice. Yesterday, we were really bad. It was the first time we had a lengthy meeting after practice about how we performed in practice. It was the first tough practice in terms of being completely out of character. As a staff, we had serious concerns heading into this game. This is not who this team is. This is not what this program is. Instead, we were thoroughly outplayed, outcoached, out everything. I told Johnny he did a great job. Their front court was amazing. Their bench was great. They doubled us up on the glass, and we were thoroughly outplayed. Okay, I'm going to let Eric hop in on this in a second. But, Mike, why didn't you sit the whole dang starting five down? And and I Eric's right. Like We're not trusting Niles Lane to get buckets. We're not trusting – Alex Klatsky to provide offense, but man, I would have emptied my bench at some point in this game and just been like, you're going to practice like crap. You're going to say the right things about responding to this. And then this is how you're going to play sit and watch. So you're, uh, you're, what you're saying is you would have gone Arkansas Pine Bluff and called a timeout to make them run suicides uh, there at the, the, the Odom. Is that, you know? <laughs> Um, for those of you who didn't see that, that, uh, that did happen last week with a division one coach, um, which I would not personally advocate for. And Neil was not either. I just, uh, knew that he, he gets a kick out of that, but, um, uh, yeah, it's a, and Hey, maybe that's something that has to do with the, the depth question right there that white, like the, the one change we saw was that Tyree Appleby did not start and he turned the ball over a bunch against Oklahoma, um, and that's uh, something that probably led to him being on the bench, but that was kind of the only change that was, you know, really made and what happens, there's still pretty much seven guys that got most of the minutes. So uh, maybe it's something like that, but um, yeah. it, again, like it's, it's always so tough to, to hear the like, Oh, we didn't, you know, we had a bad practice. Um, we didn't think our culture was where it should be with this group of guys, but it's also like, you know, this is a couple weeks now where I thought schematically on both sides of the floor, there was some, some problems. So it's right. kind of interesting on the tail end of like, kind of me wondering if the guys trust the offensive system when they start freelancing, because that's not something we've seen from them the first couple games of the season. But again, it's just like, okay, like, you know, this hedging ball screens defense has gotten picked apart for the last couple of years and it gets thoroughly picked apart by Oklahoma. Um, you know, did the guys practice poorly that week or is that the same thing that's gotten them beat for a couple of years now? Like, again, it's, it's a little tough to respond to, but, um, 
I, I guess what you're kind of alluding to, Neil, is is just like using the bench as a punitive measure, which uh, Brett Meckler tweeted at you, or I believe talking about how the bench needs to be used as a punitive measure sometimes when, when guys don't perform. And uh, uh, that's one thing that can be tough. If, um, if you're like, Hey, this is our standard and guys don't meet that standard, but they're out on the floor. Um, that's something that uh, the players see. That's for sure. Well, and I mean, there are coaches that do it pretty regularly that coach at a very high level. Um, John Calipari has never been one to do it, but Rick Pitino certainly has always done it. Um, of course, Rick plays like 10 or 11 guys too. So it's a little confusing sometimes when he does that. Uh, Roy Williams was a big fan of that, uh, at North Carolina and Billy Donovan, who Mike White can never escape the shadow of, uh, rightly or wrongly, uh, would also not hesitate to sit players that did things that were not up to his standard. They did sit Tyree Appleby for about four minutes tonight after a Chuck and Duck three um, that he had taken uh, about 10 seconds into the shot clock, less than that. Um, but not much else in the way of punitive sitting down. Um, they had early foul trouble, so I think they had opportunities to do it too. Didn't go with anybody off the bench to see if somebody else had some juice. Um, and I would have done that if I was concerned about my culture and practice. I did think one quote from Brandon McKissick that I got in the press conference was pretty interesting. McKissick was asked if Texas Southern did anything schematically to take Florida out of what it does. And McKissick said, no, they didn't really take anything away. Credit to them. They played a great game, but they certainly didn't take anything away. We're just really frustrated on offense right now. Ooh, that's really interesting to say that they didn't take things away because when Florida's moving around their their offense for you know 25 seconds of the shot clock, and like I said, no one's catching the ball in a threatening position, no one's threatening with cuts. Whenever they run cuts off the ball, it's not distorting the defense. If the defense isn't taking that away, that probably means that the offensive scheme um, needs work. So that's really interesting. I, I, um, unfortunately, as soon as the game ends, um, you know, I'm, I'm writing my post game thing for Gator country. So it's usually a little while before I watch the, uh, the press conference, we got right into podcasting. So I hadn't seen that. So, so that's really interesting. Um, the, the, the one thing I want to say quickly, I realized that I referred to what Arkansas Pine Bluff did is running suicides, which is really something I'm trying to take out of my, uh, take out of my vocabulary. Someone like that's a basketball coach and somebody talks basketball because that's not really a term that should be associated with something as stupid as running up and down the court. But um, what do you, what do you, what do you think, Neil? Do you think that Brandon McKissick uh, or when he says that, do you think that Texas Southern um, do you, did you see things differently than what he said? Or what is your response to, uh, to him saying they didn't take anything away yet? We just didn't have anything going offensively. Well, I thought the second part of the statement that we're really frustrated on offense right now, speaks to the point that I think we both have made that um, schematically they're not doing things that stress defenses right now. And the video clip that you showed was super interesting because it's, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you, you know, the way that you phrased it where there's not players in quote threatening positions is pretty interesting. And, and I mean, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I would imagine you are frustrated offensively when when that's when you're kind of spacing the floor, but not making any cuts off the ball, not doing anything to set screens for your best shooter, um, that kind of 
thing, Eric. So, you know, that's the second part of it, I guess, was a little more interesting. Did you think that it was something schematic that Texas Southern did? I don't really think that they did necessarily, other than Florida was bothered by their swack length, which actually bothered Michigan for about 20 minutes in the NCAA tournament last year, I would add. Yeah, I mean, I think that they took a little bit of a page out of Oklahoma's book, who, again, on some of those wide pin downs that Florida was playing, they just kind of top locked it, like got in between the ball and the player that was kind of coming uphill off the off the pin down, who would be ideally coming to then get a dribble handoff from Con Castleton. They just stuck themselves on the high side of that. So they didn't allow Florida to get into that dribble handoff, which unless there's a backdoor cut, which Texas Southern knows well, um, then it kind of stalls the action on that side of the play. So I thought that was something they did well. I haven't watched enough of them to know if that's something that's regularly in their kind of defensive playbook. Um, but I think what's, you know, equally as likely is they watched Oklahoma do it to really good effect. And they went on and did the same thing because that's what Oklahoma was doing. So I did think that was something that took floor out of it. But again, I was looking through the clips, like just kind of, again, trying to find clips that would summarize what Florida was doing offensively. And the one I tweeted, I thought, did a really good job because again, it was one of those things where first of all, watching that clip, which I would encourage people to do is so that they know what we're talking about. It's 25 seconds and you could even do it as you listen to this podcast or as you're listening to talk right now. The, the first thing is like, did Florida run that set correctly or did they run that offense correctly in that clip? I would say, yes, we've seen it all. We know how it works. They didn't do anything wrong in that set. So it wasn't like the players misexecuted anything. The next thing to ask is look at every pass and look at every player receiving the basketball is that player in a position to score? And not that every single pass on the floor in basketball needs to be to a player who's in position to score. Um, but it's something when I'm evaluating offenses, it's something I look at is how often is the defense being threatened? And it's just for, for Florida in the course of a possession, there's just so much non-threatening movement and that's got to end with a wide open three or a layup. If that's going to be, if you're going to pass the ball around for that much of the shot clock without ever pressuring the defense. And, uh, uh, it's something I've kind of been thinking for the last couple of games, but man, it really came to a head in, in this Texas Southern game. And again, maybe that was some players that were just, you know, not feeling it, feeling frustrated offensively. But uh, you know, I, I tweeted out that one clip, but it could have been one of 20 uh, because it all kind of told the whole story. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing is players, you know, it's like they wait for, for ball movement. Um, they're standing there waiting for a pass instead of doing things to free themselves up and cut and get open. And then when Florida does try to drive, I don't think Florida's making committed attack. I don't think Florida's committed to attacking the basket. Um, when, when I coach, we always talk to our kids about making committed drives. And I think that what I mean by that is, you know, when somebody steps defensively to your first drive attempt, you can't be deterred by the first defender you see. I think Florida stops way too quickly um, and then picks up the ball and then waits for someone to show for the ball, which just wastes time on the shot clock. And it's not particularly, uh, as Eric put it, threatening to the defense. It doesn't stress the defense. Really only Flan Fleming is a guy who I think is kind of not deterred by that first attempt to cut off a drive. Uh, Florida needs more guys. Actually, C.J. Felder had one tonight where he stuck with the play and made a nice reverse layup. Um, but I don't think Florida does that enough. And I do think committed driving is something that obviously creates help defense. And if you get help defense, you can get ball movement and you can get open shots. 
yeah, I thought CJ Felder, you know, quietly has still been playing pretty good these last couple of games. I think people are pretty satisfied with the way he played. And again, to see him have that, that kind of finish, um, I, I think that that kind of speaks a little bit to his skill set and hopefully something that keeps happening because, uh, man, they they need someone with that ability because Myron Jones is not someone comfortable finishing. Um, Brandon McKissick doesn't have a great handle, and I think that that's something. Like, I think he's more than willing to take that contact and drive in a straight line. He just doesn't have the handle to keep that ball alive. And uh, one player that I, you know, I haven't been as hard on in these last couple of games, and I'm interested in your take, uh, is, is Tyree Appleby, who I know has turned the ball over a lot, but at the same time, I, I think that he's one of the only players that's kind of creating those um, paint touches and, and and forcing defenses to react. So even against Oklahoma, when he was missing shots and turning the ball over a little bit, I, I still thought it was a net positive to have him out there and have him with the ball in his hands. Um, and that was kind of the case again with Texas Southern where, you know, I think he had probably his worst turnover of the last two days where a, a really brainless one kind of in, in transition where he threw it from one side of the floor to the other. And there was, three Texas Southern players that could have intercepted it. But I, I still think even with those interceptions or <laughs> interceptions, even with those turnovers, um, I still think you need guys like that who can, can create. So I, I'm still a fan of the, the Tyree Appleby out there a bunch. I'm still a fan of having him, having him with the ball in his hands lots, but I know a lot of people do not share that sentiment. So what do you think from Tyree Appleby after these, uh, these last two games? Well, I mean, I think when you space the floor, well, you create, the opportunity to make committed drives to the basket, like I was saying. And I think when people attack the basket, generally your three-point shots are more open. Good things tend to happen when you attack the basket. Anybody that's listened to Florida basketball or knows I've been harping on Florida, finding people to attack the 10 for a couple of years. And I really think when Tyree Appleby gets going downhill, he's a productive and dangerous player. Um, you know, I thought we saw the best of that in the Ohio State game on a night where he was one of eight, but did a really nice job of creating for his teammates, even if it was the second pass, right? Like after the penetration, he makes one pass, the defense responds to that pass, but Florida makes the extra pass and boom, you have a shot. That's how you get high assist numbers. We saw it against Troy as well. I thought one of Florida's best sequences of the season came off an Appleby path, Appleby drive, dish to Myron Jones pass to Anthony DeRuji, boom. You know, uh, I actually need to go back, watch that game, and find the clip so that I can finally post it and stop talking about it. But, yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. Uh, and so far, have I seen anyone but uh, Flan Fleming and Tyree Appleby really kind of do that? No, I haven't. Um, and I know, you know, as the season goes on, we may flip-flop back and forth on this, or I might, and Eric probably will have the more schematically accurate take. But I'm starting to think, I know two games ago I said, I'd like to see Colin Castleton face up more at the elbow. And and now I just want them to feed the ball to him in the post because the further he gets from the basket, the more freaked out I get. And tonight, like down 13, Florida's gotten three straight stops. They're on a – what for them was a run, a 4-0 run, and Castleton takes a three. And, I mean, it was that was the one time all night I lost my cool and threw something at my wall. It was a pin. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff has got to stop. So I'm starting to think committed drives, Eric. Uh, Tyree Appleby, yes. Castleton, get him, get him back in the post. Um, Again, like, 
I got excited for this Florida team because I liked the five. I liked the idea of them playing five out offense. And when they went out with it with Elon, I was like, oh, wow, they, they, the groundwork is there for a good offense. I think it fits this personnel. The problem is we haven't seen anything added to the, that offense. In fact, I think that they have reduced it to the less effective actions that they even ran on the first game of the season. And that's why where the problems are. But I, I still like the framework of the five out. I just think that, again, I, I would like to see Colin Castleton to be a little bit more almost like at the free throw line. Because one of the other problems I have, which, again, we could just get into this for far too long on this podcast. But talking about non-threatening, every one of Florida's dribble handoffs are a player that's going straight towards the center line. No one, no one is getting a dribble handoff from Colin Castleton in a position to score. <laughs> Talk about committed drives. Like, and again, I'm, I want to be very clear when I say this, I, I'm not blaming the players. Like, I don't think the players are doing this incorrectly, but there's like little subtleties to, if you're going to play this style of offense that you have to do really well. One of them is the angle of the dribble handoff. So again, I'd like to see something where maybe he's more at the free throw line and guys are coming downhill into those dribble handoffs, not going uphill. Um, because you're not threatening anyone going uphill. And then the other thing about Colin Castleton being beyond the three-point line, so they try to do a dribble handoff with a guy running back towards half court, not in a position to score a shoot. That's not great. But the other thing too is when that gets blown up, then Colin Castleton, if he turns, he's not a threat because everyone would be pretty happy to have him shoot on the other team. So at least if it's then the free throw line area, then you have that opportunity for one or two dribbles and finishing or, or getting fouled. So, I would even even within the kind of framework of what they're running, I, I think that having him a little bit more at the free throw line versus beyond the three point line would be effective for uh, for a number of reasons. So yeah, I actually agree with that, and I'd actually like to see them run some like horns actions where maybe they get since they seem to be comfortable with Flan Fleming as a guy that can get the basketball. Like if you want to make those dribble handoffs work. Like you set some sort of horn action where Flan Fleming passes off to a Myron Jones and sort of splits the horns and then circles around on that banana cut so that when he takes the dribble handoff, if you go back to the four man, it, it's terrible because I, we're recording and I want to use my hands to demonstrate things. But the point being that he's on a banana curl and now headed downhill as he takes the dribble handoff. Like these are just schematic design things. Um, Gonzaga runs that play a lot. I will find one. And for once it will be our FBH account, not Eric Fawcett that uh, <laughs> tweets the, the brilliant dribble handoff play. But um, yeah, I mean, you've got to make defenses feel stress and Florida is not doing that right now. I really think that Florida has the right textbook in their hand, how they should play offense. I just feel like they're stuck on page two and they're looking at the index. Like, again, that's why I was excited against, against Elon. And that's why I said, Hey, I think Florida is going to be better this year. I think that they're running stuff that fits the, but to just see like no changes. And in fact, them go backwards, I would say, and not run some of the good stuff. And what's honestly maybe even frustrating to me is like, goal like you you just lost to Oklahoma who ran better five out stuff than you so like there's you know they don't have a patent on that stuff uh like I would I would poach all of their sets I would poach all of Purdue stuff that they're running out of five out um I would go to the NBA where everyone's running five out and I would poach the um Milwaukee Bucks like playbook that is kind of similar to what Florida's running like 
it's just like, like I, I really feel like they're close and I'm not, a, and I'm not saying that to say, Oh, I think they're going to turn the corner tomorrow because unfortunately there's nothing to show us that that's kind of the case. It's just honestly, me honestly voicing my frustrations that it's like they took the right exit. And then um, instead of taking the most direct or direct route to where they're headed, they like took a bunch of weird exits for, for no reason at all. Like, and that that's the thing too. I'm just, I'm not sure why they diverted. Like some of it, some of it again, I think is like subtleties that, they just might not have fully thought through such as like the angle of these dribble handoffs. But some of it is just like, man, these zoom actions of dribble handoffs into, into pick and roll. It's just, they're so easy to run and they're so effective. Why did you run four of it against Elon? And we haven't seen it since. Like I just, I, that that's the stuff that's just, uh, just a little surprising to me, to be honest with you. Yeah, and the other thing is, so we talked about dribble handoffs getting downhill, but the other thing is you can still be affected if your dribble handoff is running towards the center line, Eric. You don't necessarily have to have your dribble handoff to get downhill, um, as I was saying, but you have to have stuff going on elsewhere. It can't just be, hey, here's a dribble handoff and, and everybody's being stagnant. I mean – the guy that makes the handoff needs to be immediately moving after making the handoff. Yeah, the, the somebody needs to be cutting inside and somebody needs to be cutting outside. I mean, this is what we're talking about, like off ball movement, hard cuts, uh, things that set up other actions. And, and we're just not seeing much of that uh, from the Gators at this moment. And like Eric said, we've seen it with, with what other teams run, um, you know, Oklahoma in, in the five out in particular, uh, now, but I mean, Texas Southern spaces the floor. I was actually pretty impressed with the way that they managed to space the floor and kind of use Florida extending its defense to get some of these backdoor looks and stuff. Guess what? There's no patent on anything Johnny Jones is running either. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, again, I, well, first of all, I, I think they're probably going to win the SWAC. So we'll probably see them in the NCAA tournament. And, uh, We'll see what seed they get. Hopefully, you know, for their sake, that beating Oof. Florida ends up being like a seed bump and maybe they're like a 15 or 14 versus being a 16. So uh, good for them. But uh, yeah, again, it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, this isn't intellectual property. You're not going to get sued by Neil Blackman and Sarah and Tampa representing uh, Porter Moser. Like there's just so much rich basketball content every single night in college basketball. And every night I see like, 30 things that I want to steal offensively. And uh, I just, you know, hope that there's someone on Florida staff who's doing the same thing. So um, I, I don't know, Neil, I'm probably ready to transition to North Florida. Um, but uh, I don't know about you, but the, it's it's kind of a little bit of a, uh, it, it'll, it'll tie it in here. But Neil, I want to ask you if it was up to you, who is the starting five against North Florida on Wednesday? Alex Klatsky. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you so, know um, what? You uh, you you said half jokingly about you know it's not like Alex Slatsky will be the guy, but I, I think there's going to be some calls for him to play if if Florida has another four for twenty five game from the three point line. Um, I bet I bet that I bet there's going to be some people calling for Klatsky minutes. And and you know what? Given White's history, I don't know if he's, but I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, got in there. But anyways, I'll let you let you complete serious. Start. No, I mean you know what's funny. You know what's funny, Eric is uh, who was the guy last year? The like Mister Basketball from Kentucky that you know it took John Calipari like a billion oh. games to get him in, and then they got him in, and he just started making everything for a few weeks. Um, you know, like I was thinking if you know John Calipari won a national title, so 
I was wondering, like, he, the way he recruits, uh, he has a little more grace, although not much right now, from Big Blue Nation fan base than Mike White does. And I think, uh, you know, if Mike found a guy like that, there would probably be quite a bit of anger. Uh, I, I would say that. It, to answer your question, um, I would start uh, Tyree Appleby, Flan Fleming, um, Myron Jones, uh, Anthony Deruji, and Colin Castleton. Yeah, I uh, I was curious if you'd have any any kind of wild takes. Um, I don't personally, other than I, and I mean, I even tweeted it out after the Oklahoma game. Um, kind of the lineup data and how the lineup that's like essentially the starters, but sub out Brandon McKissick or sub in Brandon McKissick for Tyree Appleby, how that lineup has not done particularly well. Uh, we'll see how the lineup data looks after tonight because uh, there's going to be some, some serious changes to some of these net ratings. But, um, you know, we did see, I think it was eight, seven for the Gators when they first, when they made their first sub. So like, I was kind of thinking to myself, Oh, we're seeing once again, that like without Tyree Appleby on the floor, um, the, the Gators just like do not uh, do not have much kind of scoring juice off the dribble. But I, I guess my then question for you, Neil, would be like approaching a game with North Florida, who you want to treat with utmost respect because you just lost to a team that's 0-7 and North Florida is 0-8. Um, North Florida has also played a lot of really good teams like Texas Southern has, but not as good as Texas Southern. Are you treating this game more as, uh, okay, we need – our best five players to start the game and we need to figure out how we're going to score. Or do you see this game as we need to get Kowasi Reeves and Elijah Kennedy and Niles Lane into the game and see if we can find some lineups that, uh, that work. How do you, uh, how do you kind of see this one? So if I'm coaching at this point and I'm six and two and I'm playing Maryland Sunday, um, this, that's a great question, Eric. This is, this is why people listen to the podcast because Eric Fawcett asked these outstanding questions. Um, you know, Man, I'm not worried about Niles Lane and and getting those guys minutes. I want Kalasi Reeves in the game for 12 to 15, like I told you. But really all I'm doing is expanding my rotation to eight. And if I want to play Elijah Kennedy because he works hard in practice and does everything I ask defensively, great. Yeah, there you go. I think Elijah Kennedy has been good. I thought he had some good moments defensively. I thought he took a good look at a three and sadly missed the rim tonight. But uh uh, again, I think you're looking forward to, you know, who are our guys going to be in, uh, in February and March. And, uh, you know, to me, that's the seven that have played. And then it's, it's, you know, it's honestly surprising to me, but it's Elijah Kennedy. And I think it's Quasi Reeves. So kind of want to get those in. And, and again, I'm kind of seeing like, we've got some pretty good sample of these kind of main five slash six players playing together. And there's been some, some problems, particularly on the offensive end. So, yeah, like it's, it's obviously you hope that they play better. You hope that they find a little bit more of what works within the offensive structure. But I also think you've got to look kind of reasonably and say like, hey, these guys that haven't been able to break guys down off the dribble for four years, they're not going to start doing that in the SEC. So we need to start figuring out other ways to score. And part of that's personnel. So um, I'll be really interested by, especially coming off, I don't know. I don't know if we want to rank this, though. I'm sure people listening would, would love us to, Neil. What is the most frustrating loss in Florida basketball, you know, recent history? But coming off a game that will contend for for that, um, just how, you know, does, does the first sub come 24 seconds into the game, which I wouldn't be too surprised because the the hook might be that quick? Or do we see, like, a bizarre starting five with Toon Gat kick? Wouldn't shock me, but... Uh, 
just how they how they kind of balance rotation. I think that that's something that's uh, that's probably the most interesting to me, at least for this game. Yeah, no, I like and you know Mike historically has been willing to mix up his starting five when he's not happy. Um, I really would have done it tonight. Like I said, I thought it was fairly clear at the 10 minute mark, they weren't going to win the game. Um, you know, so that's when I might've done that, but I guess let's let bygones be bygones. Yeah. I mean, North Florida uh, is actually usually better than they are this year. Um, they're just not a particularly good basketball team. And, and, Unlike Texas Southern, we can't say they have 10 seniors and rebound really well before the game either, which had we previewed it, I'm pretty sure we would have checked two boxes. Well, no, three. One, they are really old. Two, uh, they're athletic and rebound really well. And three, they won a game in the NCAA tournament pretty comfortably last year and pushed Michigan for a half. Now, none of that I – I can't believe I even have to say this – None of that means that Florida shouldn't have won. Those are all just things that are true about Texas Southern. But apparently this was controversial tonight. That's how mad people are. Um, North Florida also should not win against the Gators. But not anywhere near as good as 0-7 Texas Southern, in my opinion, Eric. Uh, no, and and again, I kind of feel like it's almost that like Torian Prince, like how does Yale out rebound Baylor? And he gives the sarcastic answer because Yale was actually like a top 20 <laughs> in basketball. But that was kind of one of the things with Texas Southern. Again, like you said, Florida still should have been able to win, but something that's crazy about Texas Southern is they're one of the best rebounding teams in the country by rebound percentage. And that's not adjusted for quality of competition. So you would maybe expect teams to be at the top or ones that like beat up on bad competition, but like they played against St. Mary's and BYU and, um, NC State, who were like three of the best defensive rebounding teams in the country, and they hammered all of them on the offensive glass. So I did think that was again, had we been able to to re um, or to uh, to preview the game, um, we for sure would have talked about how good they are on the glass. Um, did I think that they would double up the Gators on the glass? Absolutely not. But you know, North Florida is a team where they they had a team like you know two years ago that I that I really loved, and I know you did too, Neil. Where and something that's really cool is like in the transfer portal era era where it's hard to keep guys in the same mid-major school for a number of years. Uh, Matt Driscoll kept like um, that one group together for, for a number of years that were, you know, really good kind of likable, hard playing players like Ivan Gandia Rosa, JT Escobar, Garrett Sams, uh, Wajid Aminu. Like those are names that people will uh, remember from the podcast. Cause it seemed like the Gators played them every single year. And those guys were always there guys that started as freshmen and, played through until they were seniors. So I grew to really love those teams. And uh, it was almost like a treat to, to play against them every non-conference, but those guys are graduated. So it's kind of an all new group of players. Um, they live up to the, uh, the Ospreys live up to the birds of Trey nickname where they just shoot a whole lot of threes. They haven't hit a lot of them yet, but um, part of that again is a schedule. It's like the, the plight of a, uh, you know, a mid-major, low-major team. They've only played, road games um only played by games on the road they haven't played a single home game um they've also played like again something that's at least nice about texas southern is like they haven't had the like ridiculous low major schedule whereas like um just because of to save travel costs north florida played texas tech and then the next night they played texas a&m and then they played grand canyon arizona state and ucla on the same road trip so that's just something that like you kind of have to do for some of these mid-majors like you have to play back-to-backs against high major opponents on the road because you can't afford to take more nights of hotel and stuff like that. So um, something that's just become like more aware to, to all of us is like, we see kind of how 
especially during last year and this year, how the, the, the business of college basketball. But um, again, I would say it's a regular team from North Florida in the sense that they, they do shoot a lot of threes, but uh, not quite a regular team in the sense that they don't seem to have quite as many really capable guys of, uh, of hitting them. Yeah. I mean, look, they've played Kentucky, they've played UCLA. Uh, so, you know, they, Matthew Driscoll has not been shy about getting his young team bled um, and playing in Gainesville against a Gator team that really ought to be really mad uh, should be no different um, for them. They, like Eric said, uh, they play all these games because there's no football. So <clears throat> basketball is their revenue sport. They're financing the rest of the athletic department um, with their basketball program. That's why they play all these buy games. They've played two games at home against teams that aren't in division one and won both. Um, and really I think might not win a division one game uh, unless they beat Austin P. Um, so, you know, they might not win one until they get to conference play, I should say. Uh, and that's just kind of life as a low major. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're not nearly as effective a shooting team. The other thing they can't do is rebound. So they could be in for a really long night against the Gators on the glass. They're actually, they're actually dead last in the country in offensive rebounding and 320th in defensive. Oh, we're setting up for uh, some people to be mad on Twitter, knowing that stat now, if, if Florida doesn't just, just hammer them on the glass, but um, uh, yeah, it's a team that uh, just kind of forces up a lot of, a lot of kind of, um, again, this the kind of earlier North Florida teams would play a lot faster. Um, this team plays a lot slower, which I actually think is what you should do if you're a low major and you shoot a lot of threes. And that's if you're going to pick off a, a better team, you want to play slow and then shoot a bunch of threes. But uh, uh, they don't get to the foul line. Um, they don't rebound well, like you said. It's just uh, those kinds of uh, little things they don't do particularly well, but they're just going to hope to uh, catch fire from deep. So um, I don't have a whole lot to say on them other than one of the players that was actually a younger player who played with that group of, of guys that I really appreciated was Carter Hendrickson. Um, so he played next to those guys as kind of like one of the, he was like six foot seven and 200 pounds, but he was playing the center. Cause all those other guys were like six, four and 200 pounds. So um really appreciated kind of watching him battle bigger players through the years, but now he's able to play at least the four. So just like a six foot seven guy, who can handle the ball a little bit and likes to set screens. And then they, they flare him out for, for catch and shoot opportunities. So, so he's a player I really like leads them in scoring at like 13 a game. They don't, uh, they don't play a ton through one individual player. It's uh, they, they spread it out, have a lot of guys shoot, but um, Carter Hendrickson, another familiar name to, to people who remember seeing North Florida come to Gainesville. Um, but he's uh, he's the player to watch out for. Yeah, no, he's good. They they are very fun. They play fast. Um, you know, like Eric said, shoot a lot of threes. You know, Matthew Driscoll is one of the really nice guys in coaching. Don't think he's in any danger, regardless what happens this season with with how young their basketball team is. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, they're gonna also. He's no dummy. I mean, they're gonna watch film and they'll set pretty quick ball screens in their early offense sometimes to free up shooters. And I guarantee you, even though it's not really their forte that they'll have people slip into the basket as well. So, um, you know, everybody's going to adjust to what Florida's doing. And thus far we haven't seen many adjustments from Florida and this staff. Hopefully we start to see some of those Wednesday night. Yeah. One of those things where it's like, um, 
if you're Florida, do you want to start, you know, working towards what you think you're going to see in the SEC? Or is it like what gets you the most comfortable win against North Florida? And honestly, a lot of the time, I would think that you want to use this game as an opportunity to, to really build towards what you're doing in the SEC. And I kind of alluded to that earlier with like getting a Quasi Reeves into the lineup and, and finding out what offenses will work. But at the same time, I've been like, man, with the situation that Florida's in, I, I think that Mike White would really just love to win this game by 30 and just kind of have everyone take that exhale versus like, do you sacrifice a few points to like put in the building blocks for later in the season? I mean, maybe, but um, if that's, you know, a 15 point win instead of a 25 point win, um, maybe it's worth it. Maybe this team just needs to to win by 25. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, again, I don't think they're anywhere near as good as Texas Southern, but uh, you know, the Gators aren't really in a position to take anyone too lightly at the moment. Yeah, sure are. Um, so disappointing week for Florida basketball. Uh, we will be back Wednesday night after the North Florida game to preview what now has become a really, really important game against Maryland, honestly, um, up in Brooklyn on Sunday in the Hall of Fame uh, Classic. So thanks for listening. And um, we'll circle back on a listener's question show soon, too, because it's been a little bit. Uh, go Gators. Keep attacking closeouts. Thank you, sir. That was great, I think. Given yeah, no, it's- it's a good show. I uh, if you